0: And when I saw him, I fell at his feet. Do you see that in Revelation 1, verse 17? We're going to talk about that about two-thirds through the message and understand just a little more about why we feel that way, why we should feel that way. Why should we feel like we need to fall down at the feet of Jesus? Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, you know, I have come to understand after pastoring the same church for 22 years that often what you need from your church and what you want from your church are two different things. I've often also found out that as a, as a pastor, what, what you need from your, your pastor and what you want from your pastor can sometimes be two different things. and then. When it comes to a sermon, what you want for a sermon, and on some Sundays, what you need from a sermon, can be two different things. This morning, the focus of the message as we begin this brand new series from the book of Revelation is not going to be about you. Now, a lot of times, I, I, I preach about what you need, what you're going through, what uh, some real practical way to, to be a better person, a better Christian, a, a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better mother. Those are, those are good things and, and, and spoken so much through the scriptures. And yet there are times when we need to put our needs aside and focus on Jesus and only Jesus. And that's what the book of Revelation begins to do for us as we open up this series of messages which are not going to be necessarily what you would think. Oftentimes when we introduce uh, some sort of a message from the book of Revelation, we begin to think about prophecy. We get really interested in, okay, are we going to talk about the end times? And, And yes, to an extent, we are. It's hard to avoid that particular direction in the book of Revelation, but I, I can assure you that will not be our focus. Our focus will not be so much the prophetic end of the teachings of this book, but it will be on uh, on, on on what Jesus Christ means to you and to me, who he is, how powerful he, he, he is and and what he is coming back as when he comes back. It'll be a little bit different than a baby in a manger. And we need to understand that in the days that we are living in. Would you notice with me verse number one? And I want to read you the first six verses and and, and just kind of place yourself in the midst of of this experience that, that John is having here. As he says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. It's kind of a comforting thing to know that we are said to be blessed in Scripture because we are reading this book and we are preaching from this book. We're blessed. And keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness... And the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him, church, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Truly, the book of Revelation is all about understanding that we are to bring glory and honor to him forever and ever we we really need to begin to understand that because church we are so close to be uh, standing before him those of us who who are saved and if you're not saved you'll be given that opportunity today and i would would highly recommend that today you trust christ as your savior make today the day of your salvation but if you are saved Listen, your mindset needs to change somewhat in the days that we're living in. As we look at the book of Revelation, we need to begin to picture ourselves standing before the throne of God. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be something that you and I have to work on, to focus on. It's going to be something between Sundays that we need to really uh, practice in our own private time with God. And if you've not yet begun that private time in the first four days of the year, I want to challenge you right now to carve out. 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and spend that time with God and begin to practice falling at the feet of Jesus and understanding who He really is. And there is no chapter in all the Bible, in all the Bible, that describes the majesty, the power of Jesus Christ in a better, in a greater, in a more, in a more clear way than the first chapter of the book of Revelation. It says in verse 7 that he's coming with clouds, and every eye is going to see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. What does that mean? All kindreds of the earth are going to wail because of him. Even so, amen, I'm the Alpha and Omega, John reports this. He's the beginning and the end, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And John says, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation, And the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that was called Patmos. But referred to this isle, he was exiled to this island as God revealed himself to him for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Now a trumpet is an interesting sound. I'd like to ask Vince to come back to the platform And grab his trumpet in just a moment. I'm going to see if you can recognize some familiar trumpet sounds. All right? Uh, God talks about the trumpet often in Scripture. In fact, the trumpet was used in Scripture, uh, sounded often in Scripture, to declare victory. It was Joshua who uh, they, they blew the trumpet. The walls of Jericho came down. There are many familiar stories in Scripture where a trumpet is used. It is a sound that is outstanding. It is loud. It gets your attention. Do you, by chance, recognize this sound? How about that, huh? Reveille, right? That'll get you going in the mornings, won't it? That'll get you out of bed. Can you imagine your alarm clock sounding that as loud as that was, you know? I need anybody to recognize this more sober sound. Taps, a sound of the trumpet that is heard <clears throat> when a soldier is laid to rest. And then, what about this one for the Christian? Oh, come on! But Vince, let's try it again. Here we go. Oh, still weak. We are going nowhere. We we are. This is sad, Vince. We got to do. I mean, charge! It's January 4th. The whole year is before you. Thanks, Vince, and thank you. There you go. Charge! The sound of a trumpet. The Bible describes the voice of God as being the sound of a trumpet. What does that mean? I studied uh, the meaning of the idea of God's voice being compared or likened unto that sound, I found it to mean something of a voice that is penetrating. It is powerful. It is clear. It is commanding. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 14, and verse number 8, the Scripture teaches, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? But trumpet is often talked of and, and used in terms of a battle. And if that trumpet gives an uncertain sound, then, then how shall we know that we are going to battle? And so God's voice is as a trumpet. So I have a question for you this morning. On this first Sunday of the year. What is that voice saying to you? First Sunday of the year. First Sunday of the year. What is God's voice saying to you? Could it be that to some of you he is saying, stop. Stop. Could that penetrating voice be saying to some of you, repent. Repent. Could that penetrating voice be saying to some of us, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Could his voice be saying to others of us, go and make that right with your brother. Go and make it right. Or could he be saying to some of us, I love you. I forgive you. The voice of God is as a trumpet. And as we begin to understand what that means and how that looks for you and I, we're going to come back to that voice in just a moment. But but please realize that God's voice will be heard and can be heard this morning in this service because He is present with us this morning. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse number 11, as we continue to work our way through this introduction, and I'm not much longer, but saying in verse 11, I'm Alpha, I'm I'm Omega, the first and the last. He mentions the seven churches here. And then he says in verse 12, and I turned to see, here it is again, the voice. I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Ah, interesting. The very first symbolic statement made in the book of Revelation. Seven golden candlesticks. Maybe uh, you have a version that says lampstands. Candlesticks, what is scripture teaching of? Well, fast forward to verse number 20 and look at it with me. It's interesting how God defines that for us. He says, the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the what? Seven churches. So the candlesticks here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 12 are the churches. And the churches here that are described in Revelation chapter 1 and 2 and 3 describe to us in Revelation 1 seven churches that represent all churches of all time. Guess what, Gospelite, including our church. God is speaking to Gospelite this morning. And, and God sends this messenger, and I'll explain that to you in just a moment Uh, where I'm at in this passage, because I'm in this thing. I'm, I'm actually included. I'm honored to be in Revelation 1 as a messenger of God to declare unto you today what God has said. I want you to tell the people. This is what I want you to tell them this morning, January 4th, 2015. The time, the coming of the Lord is at hand. We've not much time left. This is how important it is for you to speak this morning exactly, Eric, what I have asked you to speak. So God is speaking here to the seven golden candlesticks, the seven churches. I want everyone to hear me this morning. Never be out on the church. Never be down, so down on the church that that you just give up and quit on it. You know, some of us have had some very bad experiences in church. Am I right? Some of us have been hurt in church. You know, I've eaten at some restaurants and had some bad experiences. In fact, I remember one years ago distinctly remember being at a church and going out to eat after the services which I don't really like to do it's so late I don't like food served at restaurants past 10 o'clock it just seems like it's going to be uh, you know it's it, you know, I, I don't know I, I don't I don't imagine people that work at restaurants like seeing people come in at 10 when you close at 10 and so we come into the restaurant and I've already got this idea this is just not going to be good and sure enough Uh, everything was cold. The soup I got was cold and had that little plastic layer on top. You know what I'm talking about? Like somebody had returned it and I got the one that somebody returned. It was nasty. And, And my food was cold and my biscuits were hard and my drink was lukewarm, if you know what I mean. I mean, the whole experience was awful. And I want you to know, I haven't eaten since. And I'm not going to eat again. I mean, I'm so down on food, I'll probably never eat again. And I'm not going to let one bad experience at a restaurant me from ever eating again and that's the way it is with the church you see you may have had a bad experience you may have had a bad situation you may have had something happen to you but i want you to know that don't be down in the church because guess what jesus died for the church he loves the church he's given us the church and this body of believers is so important to all of us jesus loves the church and he gave himself for it i've described church for you in your notes as this to help you understand why i said what i said The church is a place of sinful people trying sincerely to be what God wants them to be. What do you think about that definition? Church is a place of sinful people trying sincerely to be what God wants them to be. And what's beautiful about the church described in Revelation chapter 1 is look at who's in the middle of it all. Verse 13 of Revelation 1. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Right in the middle of the church. Right in the middle is someone who's likened unto the Son of Man. Who is that one? His name is Jesus Jesus is in the middle of the church. He's rolled his sleeves up this morning, and he said, hey, let's go, Gospelite. It's 2015. I know you, you're broken in some areas of your life. I know there's some things that, that are going on, but we're going to roll our sleeves up together. I am in the midst of the church. And God wants you and I to recognize his son Jesus today as being right in the middle of us, the son of man 82 times in the word of god the son of man is mentioned and as we look at this particular passage of scripture we can go back to daniel chapter number seven as we often can in revelation and look back at what uh what is is being spoken of here in revelation so in daniel chapter seven we see here that i saw in the night visions and behold one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. So Daniel saw what John saw. Do you see here in the midst of the church, Daniel was right and John was right. And what I preached this morning to you is is exactly true. The son of man is in the midst of. Of the church, not so much the humanity of Jesus Christ as much as, it, as we speak of his deity. That, that's Jesus Christ in this scripture, a vision of the Son of Man. As we sang about a moment ago, Jesus Messiah. Jesus Messiah. That's who's here this morning. Let's read Matthew chapter 26 on the screen real quickly here, beginning in verse 62. Pay attention to this. And the high priest arose and said unto him, answerst thou nothing? What is it with uh, which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, thou hast said, nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter, this is it, look at this church, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus declares himself to be the Son of Man. Eighty-two times in Scripture we see him mentioned as the Son of Man. Jesus, Son of Man, is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7. He spoke of himself in Matthew 26. Look at verse number 14 as we continue to look at, at Jesus here. Verse 14, it says, His head, speaking now of Jesus, his head and his hairs. Wow. You know what that tells me? Jesus had a head full of hair, unlike your pastor. Okay, Jesus doesn't look anything like me, thank God, right? He had a head full of hair. But notice it says here that his head and his hair. Picture with me, if you will, just try to really focus on the word-for-word interpretation of this passage. His head and his hair are white like wool and white as snow. This speaks of the fact that the Savior, the Son of Man, the Messiah, has never what? Never sinned. He's pure He's holy. He's never said a word he should not have said. He never has done anything he shouldn't have done. He's never gone anywhere he shouldn't have gone. He's never disobeyed his father. He did always those things that pleased his father. And as we see the radiant beauty of the son of man. You know, we haven't had much snow this year. But I don't know that there's anything more bright than uh, snow in the morning with the sunlight beaming on it. I've not seen it often. But I can tell you the, the two or three times I have seen it, I don't know there's anything more radiant on earth than snow and sun coming together on a beautiful morning. And we, are, we see that Jesus here is likened to someone who is pure and who has never sinned. Notice in the same verse, four, verse 14, it describes his eyes, church, as eyes that were a flame of fire. Oh, listen, I, I need for everyone to, to really focus this morning on this picture and description of Jesus. His eyes are as a flame of fire. You can see here that, 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 that there's some intensity involved in this description. There's intensity in the eyes of Jesus. What does this speak of? It speaks of His judgment. His judgment. His eyes are as a flame of fire. Think about judgment when it comes to eyes and remember when your mother would look at you when you were doing something wrong anybody remember the old eyes of mom sometimes even at age 49 and i i'm doing something that i remember mom said not to do when i was a kid and i'm like looking around you know i can feel the eyes they're like burning a hole through through my back you know i mean somewhere mom's got to be around here you know the eyes of God are like that. They're everywhere. Do you understand that Jesus sees everything you do? He is everywhere. He is upon us. Everything we say, everything we do are known to Him. You know what that should do to us this morning is, as believers, as Christians today, living in these days? We should be convicted by the fact that God sees everything we do. We should be convicted. Why aren't we more convicted by that? Why are not we more convicted by the fact that God's eyes are as a flaming fire penetrating all of us today who know Him and and the judgment of God this morning is depicted here in this fire that's in His eyes? We don't have to avenge ourselves. You see, the wrath of God is very healthy this morning. Remember, I told you, these sometimes, there's sometimes sermons that we, we want, and then there's sermons that we need. What we need this morning is an understanding of the judgment of God, the wrath of God. You see, the next time he comes, he'll not come as a baby in a manger. The next time he comes is on a white horse with fire and vengeance to all those who have opposed him anybody who has now accepted him as personal Lord and Savior and made him Lord of their life, he is going to come to cast into everlasting fire. Scripture teaches this. And yet, sometimes I think we can gloss over these these, these descriptions of Jesus Christ who is coming back soon, not as a healer and a friend, He's not coming back as a refuge and a savior. He's coming back as a king and a judge. We need to begin to accept that. We need to begin to realize that and recognize that. Church, the next time he comes, it is as a judge. The next time he comes, it's to be king of kings and lord of lords of all the earth. And his eyes are like a flame of fire. Wow. What about his feet? His feet are described in verse number 15. Look at it with me or look at it in your notes. His feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. Again, not taking a long time to describe the meanings of all of this, but just think about that for just a moment. You could do as good a job as I'm doing right now if you just tried to... to, uh, Say uh, to maybe someone this morning in a conversation, what does it look like for someone to have feet that are fine brass? That are they're, they're hard feet, they are beautiful feet. Obviously, brass is d- d- depicts beauty, but also, brass is very, very hard. You see, his feet are strong because they are going to crush the enemy, crush the enemies of God. Crush those that have opposed God it seems as if we live in a day where there's a lot of crushing of the Bible going on and a lot of crushing of Christian values going on and a lot of crushing of scripture going on it seems as if today if you say you are a Christian or believe in the name of Jesus or you love the Bible that that you are being opposed and attacked and church there is coming more persecution to the church in the day that we're living in than we're experiencing right now it is coming to our country it's coming to hot springs it's coming to gospel light it's coming to our homes and yet god says hey don't forget there's coming today well i'll come to crush the enemy crush all those who oppose the word of god his feet are as brass the feet of jesus christ are coming soon you know sometimes you can hear feet coming and that's how you know someone's coming you hear feet Can you hear His feet? They're coming. He's coming. His feet are coming. And He's going to establish on this earth His kingdom. And it's time that we submit to Him lest we be crushed. Let's submit to Him. What a joy it is to be a child of God. Amen. And to know Him as our Savior and to recognize Him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And to not sit in silence and in sheer fear when we hear a song song like, falling at the feet of jesus every one of us honestly if i could just say this tonight with a heart full of love and compassion honestly it would be a great thing if our church could come to a place in its life one day not now one day where when a song like that is sung that kim Moore's not the only one not that i'm using him as an example i didn't come forward either but you know what when i saw him come forward i thought that is a really good idea that's a good idea kim Somehow, of all the people in this church, you took that song literally. You ever thought about songs that we sing sometimes that say in the song things that we should be doing, but we don't do them? You ever thought about that? You ever read scripture that literally says things that we should be doing, but we never do it? It says we should do it, but we never do it. It's almost like we're like, that's weird. All it is is getting ready for heaven. That's all it is. So much in the Bible says this is okay to do because you're not going to be able to see Jesus in all of his glory and just stare into space. He's much more impressive than a Hollywood movie. He's much more impressive than, uh, th- than a stroll through the richest, wealthiest neighborhood in town. The lights of heaven cannot be compared uh, to the lights, uh, to the Christmas lights of Garvin Gardens. As impressive as they were. Are you with me? What an awesome God we serve. And I come declaring to you today about that God. Look as he goes on to the screen. John is just so into this thing. He's like blown away. Can you imagine? Mouth open, blown away. His feet are as fine brass as if they burned in the furnace. And his voice, back to his voice, his voice, his voice, you will recognize his voice. You know, oftentimes, We recognize people by their what? Voice. Watch this. Who can recognize this voice? And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. All right, whose voice is that? How'd you know? (laughs) All right, what about this voice? See if you can recognize voice number two today. We can meet our destiny to build a land here that will be for all mankind a shining city on a hill. Ronald Reagan, that wasn't just one or two people. That was a sea of voices. We recognized that voice. What about this voice? Now you know the rest of this. Paul Harvey. And what about this voice? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Kim Moore, right, okay. Some of you are like, oh, he's not famous. He's really not, but he's right here on the second seat, okay. He's the voice of gospel light, we like to call him. He's the voice you'll hear when you call the church or the prayer line. That's that voice. So you hear these voices, and you recognize these voices. But can I tell you something today? You will recognize the voice of God. And you say to me, preacher, how do you know? You've never heard his voice audibly, have you? Never have. Never have heard it audibly. I tell you what, there's been times that I've heard his voice so clearly that you would have thought I would have heard it audibly. I mean, that's how clear sometimes God speaks to me. I don't hear it audibly, but it's like, wow, thank you, God. I know you're saying that to me today. But let me tell you how you'll know it's the voice of God. Look at verse fifteen, and His voice as the sound of many waters. Wow! When I say the sound of many waters, what do you think about when you hear the roar of many waters? Anybody? Niagara Falls. Let me tell you some stats about Niagara Falls. It's there's a one hundred and sixty-seven foot drop. Is anybody, who's been to Niagara Falls? You've been there. Wow, me too. My hand is raised. It's incredible. A 167-foot drop of, get this, 600,000 gallons of water every second. Did I impress you just now? Was that impressive? 600,000. You say, how'd they figure that out? I have no idea. It's just in a book somewhere, all right? 600,000 gallons of water. I can tell you this. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, those of you that raised your hands, you can believe it, can't you? The Roar Church. I'm going to tell you, you get in that little ferry and you go out, it's kind of scary, actually. You're like, this little teeny boat. I mean, when you're standing up above the falls and you look down in the waters, you see this little, it looks like a little playboat. Like a little teeny, teeny boat. And it's down at the base of this massive water where, where 20% of all of the fresh water in all the world comes from goes through Niagara Falls and the Great Lakes, I should say. And here is this little boat, and it's. but when you're in that boat and you're at the base of the waters, you can't hear yourself. You can scream. You can stalk this loud, and you can't hear yourself. You cannot hear yourself. It's just that loud. It is the roar of many waters. How many of you think God's voice is going to be more impressive than Niagara Falls? I do, too. You have never heard a voice like the voice of God. When he speaks, the world will hear. When he comes, the world will know. He is coming, and his voice is a roar. Listen to some of the description of his voice. Joel chapter 3, verse 16. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion, prophetic verse here, by the way, and utter his voice from Jerusalem. That's where he'll utter his voice from. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. Do you think that's figuratively speaking? Or do you really think the Bible's true there? I think when God speaks, the earth will shake. Look at the next verse. John 5, Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves, everybody that's ever been buried in a grave is going to hear the voice of God. Next verse. John 10 3 to him, the porter openeth. I love this, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name. If you are a child of God, you are one of his sheep, and his sheep hear and know his voice. Next verse. Hebrews 3:15. While it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts. Listen to me, church. If you are hearing the voice of God today as a non-believer, don't harden your heart. Because if you do, it may be the last time. You may never hear the voice of God again. You don't understand. Listen, we believers, do you understand how blessed you are to be saved? The majority of this world doesn't know Christ as Savior. They've rejected the gospel or they haven't heard. You sit in this building. You have heard the voice of God. You have not hardened your heart. To God be the glory for that. But if you have not been saved, don't harden your heart. Next verse. Hebrews twelve twenty six. Whose voice then shook the earth. These are all descriptions of his voice. His voice is loud. And we must listen. It cannot be silence. You cannot hide or run from his voice. Verse 16. As we continue on in almost conclusion, verse 16 says, And he had in his right hand seven stars. Seven stars. Now, what are those stars? Well, look down at verse number 20 for just a moment. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The New Testament, back when it was written, was written in what language? Greek. Okay? The word stars here, it means... Or angels, I should say, means angelos. Strange word, but angelos means messenger. The star is a messenger. The angel is a messenger. It's almost as if a a stronger interpretation would be the literal Greek interpretation of that word, which is why sometimes the Greek can be so helpful. It means messenger. In other words, literally speaking here, John was talking about the messengers of the churches, which no doubt, seem to be or would be the pastors or the preachers or the messengers of God's Word. When you think about this in context, think about it. And he said, he held in his right hand seven stars. Seven stars. It seems as if if these were literal angels, that, that John would be, they'd be way up higher in the food chain than than, than John would be. But yet John speaks here of, uh, of this as, as being someone who is a messenger to the church. Can I tell you what I got from this, this this week? Here's what I got from it Wow. I have an incredible responsibility every week to bring God's word to the people, I'm a messenger. I mean, when I stand in this pulpit, this is no time to be unprepared. This is no time to be silly. This is no time for me just to try to impress you with a bunch of fancy words. This is no time to tell stories and fables and give my opinion. I need to have something to say to the people of God. I need to have been with God because God says, hey, I've got messengers for the churches. And as a messenger of this church, and I know I'm not the only messenger. There are other men. There are other pastors who have messages in this church. Notice verse number... Let me read you verse uh, Exodus chapter 15, verse 6 on the screen. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath vast in pieces the enemy. Why did I read you that verse? Because the Bible says here in verse number 16, speaking of his right hand, that he holds in his right hand seven stars. Speaking of his stre- strength and authority and power. He holds in his hand these messengers. And out of his mouth were a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. It says here that out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Think with me for just a moment about that statement. Jesus will speak his word and his judgment will fall. Out of his mouth a sharp two-edged sword. Can you picture that With me for just a moment, the mouth of God speaking with the sword coming out of it speaks again of judgment. Can I fast forward to Revelation chapter 19 and read you some of the final words of the word of God? That John saw, he saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and as his head were, on his head were many crowns. And he had his name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth, here it is, church, again. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the wine of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. That's when he comes back. When Jesus comes back, which, by the way, church, could be today. That's the picture of it. He's not coming as some little soft guy. He's not somebody that's coming to say, Hey, everybody, I'm here. Let's have a party. No. He's coming in judgment. He's coming with a fierceness. He's coming with some judgment and anger and fire in his eyes. He will speak the word of God in judgment. Remember, as a kid, well... Let me read you the verse again real quickly and remind you of something that, again, as a child. It says in verse number uh, 16 that his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. Remember as a kid when you would look at the sun, what would, what would happen? I, I, I'll tell you what would happen in my house. Whenever i look at the sun, my, my mother, my father would say, don't look at the sun. That would what? Exactly. Hurt your eyes, hurt your eyesight, mess up your eyes. Don't look at the sun. But how many of you, when you get a pair of sunglasses that are supposed to be rated really high, put them on and look at the sun? Yeah, These things are really good, you know. Why is it that we want to look at the sun, but we don't want to look at the sun? Think about that. Why is it that we're so tempted sometimes to look up at the sun, but then we turn away? So will it be with Jesus. I want you to think with me as we read this passage one more time. And when I saw him... Verse 17, I fell at his feet as dead. When you see Jesus, that's how you're going to feel. Trust me, Mark. When you see Jesus for the first time, you're not going to be, I sure am glad I finally got here. I got some questions for you, old man. Jesus, you know what? I'm glad I'm finally here. I've been waiting for this day a long time. You know what? I just don't think you treated some people fairly. Let's talk about it. When you see Jesus, you're going to fall at his feet. It's the only reaction you'll have. There are none other to have. And as arrogant as you may be down here, you'll lose all of that when you see Jesus. First of all, he's so bright, you won't be able to look upon him. You'll look upon, he's so much brighter than the sun. You ever stared at the sun? Try it sometime. In fact, don't try it. Because your mother said it's not good, remember? (laughs) But you fall at his feet as dead. But look at what this is. Oh, man, I'm so glad we're at the end of the sermon because it's not going to get any better than this. Look at this. Look again at verse number 17. I fell at his feet as dead. And he, this is Jesus. He lays his right hand upon me. And here's what he says to John. Fear not. Hey, John, get up. Get up, John. Get up, John. It's okay. Fear not. I'm the first and the last. I'm he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of death, or rather of hell and of death. You see, what Jesus communicates to John as John falls at his feet is not hate or anger or judgment. What does he communicate? Love. Fear not, John. It's okay. Man, listen, I I died for your sins. You are pure. You are white. You are washed in the blood of my son Jesus. I don't see your sins, John. You don't have to fall down. You can stand up. And you know what you want to do then? Worship. And praise God. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. He died. But he rose again. Aren't you glad he rose again? And today he holds the keys to death and hell. I want to ask you a question. Are you locked in or locked out? He holds the keys to death and hell. I don't know about you, but in that description, if he holds the keys to death and hell, I want to be locked out. I don't want to go in there. I don't want to go in death and hell. But guess what? If you reject Jesus Christ... He opens death and hell, puts you in forever. You never get out. But if you trust Christ as your Savior, you're locked out forever. Can I get an amen right there? I want to be locked out. He holds the keys. And then just... To conclude the chapter verse 19 write these things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand the seven golden candlesticks the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches and so this morning as we conclude the sermon the first sermon of the series i wanted to lift up jesus i wanted to get everybody's attention this morning I wanted to have good illustrations about a trumpet, about a voice, about, I wanted the message to be clear. Here's why. Because I want everybody in this building to begin to understand we are coming close to this day. We're coming very close to this day. This is not going to be a day where you wake up and put the coffee on. This is not going to be a normal day where you just breeze through life and, 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 and think about uh, paying the bills and, and what's going to happen and have they found the 162 victims of Air Asia? What's happening in the Middle East? What's going on? Who's being killed today? Who's being, who's being persecuted today? How many Christians died today? There's coming a day when all that ends. Amen? When Jesus returns in power and glory and majesty and, and judgment. Church, let's wake up. Oh, church, arise. Oh, church, arise. Let's wake up to the fact that we serve a risen Savior. We're on the winning side. We're on the winning side. We're on the winning side. And it's time God's people begin to sing like that and live like that and sit like that and stand like that and praise like that. It's time we begin to understand just who God is and who Jesus is and worship Him accordingly. But if you're not saved this morning, are you hearing his voice? Do you know him as your savior? Has there been a time in your life where you've looked to him for forgiveness? Has there been a time in your life? Listen, if not, do it now. Do it today. Today. Do not harden your hearts because there's coming a day when there will be no more time and you will be locked in. It'll be over. You'll be locked in forever and ever and ever. Do you know Jesus? Everything is going to be so awesome when we get to heaven. That trumpet's going to sound. It's going to be incredible. We're going to hear the voice of God. And it's going to be awesome. If you do not know him, let today be the day. Let's bow our heads, shall we? And with heads bowed and eyes closed,